chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there is evening, and there is morning, the sixth day. We're going to continue in Colossians 1, verse 15, and then 19 to 20. And there it says that Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then finally in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he said, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thank you. Thanks, Dan and Ashley. You can have a seat. Well, Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. I'm going to pray for us and we'll get into these three passages together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're with us. We need you to speak to us this morning. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the Word of God. Uh, that we're not left wondering, but we pray that you would open our eyes truly to behold and our hearts to receive uh, who you are uh, this morning. This gospel that you have declared to us and to this world. We pray that your spirit would speak to our spirits and that we would be changed because we've encountered you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you, would love to meet you if you would stick at, uh, after the service for the ministry fair or the, for the food truck rodeo uh, and get to meet you and we get to connect with everybody uh, as a community. It's going to be a good time. Hopefully the weather will hold up for us. But uh, we are in, this is actually the first Sunday of launching into our fall uh, as a church with a new sermon series, the ministry fair, the food truck rodeo, all these things that we've got going on today. I've been excited about this Sunday for a long time and glad it's here and looking forward to the weeks and the year ahead as a church. But we've titled this series, the, the six-week sermon series, Renew, God's Glory and the Good of Durham. It's our vision. We seek 
the glory of God and the good of Durham. And so this morning, I'm going to be preaching kind of a, a 30,000 foot view sermon on, on the big picture of, of what we're about as a church. And over the next five weeks uh, after this Sunday, we will zone in on one of our weekly core values, what we hold very dear to our hearts. And so it's going to be a six week series that we'll be together. On average, a mechanic will tell you that every two to three years, your vehicle needs a wheel alignment. Right? Every two to three years. We just did this with one of our cars, and the mechanic told us that the front left wheels were pointing, or the front wheels were pointing left, and the rear wheels were pointing right. Now, that's not good. Our car was not in good shape. But they aligned our wheels for us. Probably because we were hitting bumps in the road, potholes, railroad tracks is what the mechanic told us. That we just needed to, to realign our wheels. If you don't align your vehicle, maybe you've experienced this, it will begin to pull left or pull right. It will go in a direction. It just may not be the direction you want to go in. Our church is in our third year, not quite three years old. And God has been gracious to us as we've traveled this road of church planting. But not without bumps or occasional potholes. And many of you are new to our church in the past year. and You've never even heard it communicated the direction that we want to travel. Some of you maybe have forgotten the direction that we want to go. Some of you maybe have even misunderstood the direction. So we don't want to travel as a church just in any direction. The purpose of this sermon series is that God would prayerfully align us to the direction he's calling us toward as a church. So speaking of direction, if you were to travel, I guess, 20 miles down Interstate 40, you'd hit a city that we know of as Raleigh. And I don't know if you know this, but Raleigh was named after an explorer and nobleman, Sir Walter Raleigh of Britain. How many of you knew that? Wow, okay, wow. Some North Carolinians, probably your North Carolina history. I'm from like Georgia, Alabama. Didn't even know who Sir Walter Raleigh was until I moved up here. Uh, so you all know good, good North Carolina history. So, Sir Walter Raleigh of Britain, uh, he was a 16th century, uh, century explorer and adventurer. Part uh, of his expeditions was founding and colonizing much of the state of North Carolina. Uh, and uh, many of his expeditions were seeking the elusive El Dorado, right, the land of gold. He was an explorer. He was a dreamer. In the Tate Britain Museum in London, there hangs a painting of Raleigh by Sir Walter Everett Malace, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. And the painting of Malace shows a young boy, Raleigh, and then one of his friends, another young boy, sitting at the feet of an older sailor who appears to be telling a story, pointing out over the ocean. And James K. Smith, interpreting the painting of Malace, says that what Malace is doing as an artist is imagining what creates an adventurer and an explorer like Raleigh. And Malaysia's hypothesis is a good storyteller. The painting of an old sailor pointing to the immense sea, captivating these two young boys with the tales of what lies on the other side, is the story that gives birth to a longing that would then govern and direct all of Raleigh's life. So here's why I share about Raleigh and Malaysia. I believe every person is living into and driven by some story. Some story has captured us, pulled us in, and is now the driving force of our lives. Another way to say this is that everyone is driven by some telos, some chief purpose, a chief end. 
So what's our telos, church? What's our chief end? Why does Christ Central Church exist? The answer that we started this church with and we keep coming back to is not that complicated. It's quite simple, but it's extremely grand. And the answer is not much different than the answer you would get from the Bible if you asked that same cosmic question for yourself. Why do I exist? What is my purpose? What's the meaning of my life? I believe that many North Americans, and I would add North American Christians, have a vision of life, a story that we like to imagine ourselves as part of that is much too small. And it leads to being intoxicated with the luxuries of life and the comforts of life. And the story that I believe many North Americans in the North American church imagine itself a part of is the pursuit of affluence and or freedom. Autonomy, individual freedom. I think this small vision prevents us from being adventurers and explorers in this life for the sake of God and the good of his world. Our passages this morning scan from Genesis to Colossians to Revelation. And, and that was chosen. I chose that for a reason to show you perhaps for the first time this morning or to remind you again that the Bible is not primarily a book of history, though it contains history. It's not a book that's primarily about giving you examples to follow, though there are great examples to follow. The, book, the Bible is primarily a story that we are called to imagine ourselves and envision ourselves as a part of with God as the main character. And the first chapter of the story is creation. What was read from Genesis chapter 1. That God created a beautiful and good world where man and woman enjoyed God. They enjoyed one another. Adam and Eve, the image of God, were told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. They were to increase the number of images of God in the world and have dominion to rule over as God's images his created world. See, God's purpose in the beginning is that God would be glorified in his creation as humanity, his image, lived out like that he intended, which would then cause the world to flourish. But only a few chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, we get the second chapter of the story. The fall. Adam and Eve fell into sin, disobeying God doubting God's goodness, thinking they knew better than God, trusting their desires over God's desires. And as a result, humanity's relationship with God was broken. Humanity's relationship with one another, broken. Humanity's relationship with the created world, broken. So from Genesis chapter 3 to the beginning of the New Testament is the story of God's people, Israel, walking in some obedience and then disobedience. Trying to follow, but then failing. Sinning, repenting, and then sinning some more. And then Jesus, the Son of God, is sent from the Father. And Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the imago. Jesus is God in the flesh and humanity perfected. And he begins the third chapter of the story, redemption. Jesus steps on stage in the Gospel of Mark and he declares, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. That's what Eden was supposed to be. That's what Israel in the Old Testament was supposed to be. But there was disobedience. So Jesus, the image of God, would be perfectly obedient, willingly die, victoriously resurrect, usher in his rule and his reign, his kingdom. 
Not up in the clouds in the great by and by, but on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus would renew and mend the brokenness between humanity and God, humanity with one another, and humanity's relationship with creation. And then the rest of the New Testament is the unfolding of God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven through Jesus and Jesus' church by the power of the Holy Spirit. But not in fullness. There would still be struggles. There would still be pains. The fullness of the kingdom would come in the final chapter of the story. Consummation or restoration, which is read about in Revelation 21. That one day, someday, Christ is going to come back. And his kingdom will be in its glorious fullness and the peace of God will dwell throughout the earth. That the lamb will lay with the lion. There'll be no more darkness, there'll be no more tears, no more violence, no more death. The peace of God will reign in the kingdom of God. And the glory of Jesus will be the light that shines everlasting. And the worship of God will be our never-ending delight. God will be glorified. We'll worship. This is the story that we are called to imagine ourselves as part of. And it's out of this story that I want to show you why Christ Central Church exists. It's why you exist. The first reason is for the glory of God. For the glory of God. The whole redemption story is about God being glorified in and through his image bearers. Humanity. Glorified in our relationship with him, in our relationship with one another, in our relationship with the world. So here's my point. It's why we state in our vision that we exist to seek the glory of God. God is the chief end. God is the telos. God's glory is why we exist as a church. The gospel story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. God the Father being glorified in the whole world through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a gospel that's not just good advice that we can choose to listen to or not. The gospel is an announcement that our God reigns and his glory will fill the earth. I have some good friends who are overly generous to me and to to my family, always looking to bless and to give to us. It's humbling. Now, because of their hearts and their resources, they give a lot to people. They benefit a lot of people and a lot of institutions. A few years ago, the husband and I were talking and I asked him if he feared that people related to him and his wife primarily because of what they can give. And he was very honest with me, and and he said that he he did have a hard time trusting that people really cared about him and his wife and his family, and that he did fear that people related to them to receive or to take or to benefit. And I would say a healthy fear of mine and a grave danger for us, Christ Central Church, is that we get more excited and more interested in the benefits of what God can provide than we do about a relationship with God as an end in itself. That we would get more excited about the benefits of the gospel than we do about the gospel. If we begin to think that we exist for the benefits of the gospel as a church, things like more people attending worship, more city groups, more diversity in our church, more justice in our city, more people coming to know Christ for the first time, more money to be generous with. If these are our primary objectives, we are in serious danger of veering off course and being misaligned to our direction and our purpose. 
We exist for the glory of God. The gospel is about God and the benefits of the fruit of the gospel. These are good things that I just mentioned. They're good things and we should pray for them, but they aren't our ultimate purpose. Think about this. What if Christ Central Church had a calling like the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet? What if we preached the gospel and no one listened? What if we labored in Durham faithfully and we preached the gospel and we never grew in attendance? Never grew in how many city groups we had. Never grew in the diversity that we wanted reflected. Never grew in the amount of money we could be generous with. Have we failed? Have we failed? If we exist for the benefits and the fruit of the gospel, then we would look at things and our lack of obtaining and see ourselves as failures. But Jeremiah knew he existed to announce the glory of God. And to enjoy the glory of God regardless the outcome and response. We are not the center of the gospel. We're not the center of the universe. The Father, Son, and Spirit. This triune God who is authored and is unfolding the story of redemption by grace is. And his glory is our ultimate purpose. Most of us are motivated because we've grown up thinking this our whole lives. We're motivated to earn it. To work for it. But Christianity and this gospel that I'm talking about is driven by grace. By grace, which Timothy will, will talk about next week as one of our core values. And grace declares that I deserve nothing, but I'm given everything. The gospel of God is that Jesus has accomplished everything for us. It's not about what we can accomplish for him. And this grace that Jesus offers is what ushers us into communion with God. And communion with God is much better than any gift of God. The grace of Christ, it's an assault on the small visions of our lives and the stories that we live by. These stories that are filled with me and you being the main character. Grace is an assault because grace requires all of us to give the hardest thing, which is to give in and to give up. And to trust Christ. This gospel of grace. Gospel of Jesus. The gospel of God. Draws us into the glory of God. And it changes us. If we understand it. If we believe it. We cannot remain unmoved or indifferent. When we're gripped by the truth. Of being called out of brokenness. In our sin. Into communion with God. Through Christ. Then we become those who are sent out. To make that same grace known. To the whole world. Another way of saying that we exist for the glory of God is to say we exist for the worship of God. And worship fuels mission. Worship motivates mission. If we are captivated by God's glory, there's no need to coerce and force us outward. It'll be, it'll be natural. It'll just happen. I just discovered the musician Leon Bridges, who's playing tonight in Durham, uh, loving his music. I've been telling everybody about Leon Bridges. Now, you got to check out Leon Bridges. This guy's good. you got to listen to him. When we discover, rediscover the gospel of grace and the glory of God, we're going to say, come check out God. Let me tell you who he is. See, the worship of God, the glory of God, leads to mission, which is the good of Durham. The second part of our vision, the good of Durham. That's why we exist. Again, because we have small visions of life, right, purposes that drive us, or these stories that 
we live into that are much too self-centered and comfort-seeking. I think our mission, it, it lacks power. Our, our mission is veering in direction. And it's purposes and missions like this that we can live by. I want to acquire enough money so that I can retire by the age of 50. It's my mission. My mission is to be free, to, to not be tied down to one place or to any one person or to any one community. I want the freedom to do as I want when I want. My purpose is to chase the comfort and the pleasure of the next high that alcohol or drugs provide. Or my purpose is shown by my constant worrying about my own safety, safety, protection, and future. But not just my safety, protection, and future, but even more so my children's safety, protection, and future. All stories driven by our comfort or our pursuit of affluence and or our freedom, our individual freedom. We need a bigger story. And we need clarity in our mission. You know, this morning is the 15th anniversary of 9-11. Most of you have been seeing that on the news. Do you remember, you can remember that long ago, 15 years ago, after 9-11, how the whole country rallied together in one purpose to be one nation in love for one another? There was unbelievable clarity of purpose after 9-11. You watched how Baton Rouge was flooded and how the country is rallied to love and provide relief clarity and purpose. In the wake of tragedy, there is often missional clarity. In Christ Central Church, we need missional clarity. And we might need tragedy to wake us up. But may the Lord be gracious to wake us up and give us clarity without tragedy. I mean, have you, have you listened to many of the prayer requests that, that many North American churches often pray for? And they're not altogether bad prayers. But the majority prayers that we ask and that you'll hear are prayers for personal comfort and healing. Good prayers. Not altogether bad. But if you travel around the world to places like South Sudan, where people are being persecuted for their faith in Christ, their prayers are a little bit more radical. I mean, imagine someone kills your parents and they kill your children because you're a Christian. Your prayer is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a gut-wrenching, come Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's heart breaks over the fallen world. He loves us and he loves this world. And he has promised that he's going to renew and mend all that is broken. It's his mission. It's his mission. The question, church, is, is it your mission? Instead of, instead of heal me, God, so I can be comfortable and happy in this life, we're taught by the persecuted church to pray, God, be glorified in my sickness. In fact, God, give me sickness if you gain more glory. The persecuted church has missional clarity. And we need to see that Jesus was sent by the Father. And the Spirit was sent when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. And the church of Jesus is now sent to be the hands and the feet to make the grace and the glory of God known in the world. The church is not a building that, but a people who are on mission. So let's talk about this mission. Seeking the good of Durham. I think in order to understand our mission, and our, we, need, we need to understand our context. What's this city that we live in? Well, what's true of it? 
Listen to some of the awards that Durham has, award, has won recently. Bon Appetit selected Durham as America's foodiest city for small towns. The Daily Beast listed Durham as the most tolerant city in America. Black Enterprise and Money Magazine ranked Durham as the number one place to retire. Forbes Magazine ranked Durham the third best city to ride out a recession. There's these stellar academic institutions like North Carolina Central and Duke and UNC Chapel Hill and Durham Tech all near us. Downtown Durham is a place where you find your cool. It's happening. Tons of restaurants, nightlife, work opportunities. You can go to one of the best performing arts centers in the country, the DPAC, or one of the best minor league baseball teams, the Durham Bulls. But if you look next to the DPAC, or if you're in the Bulls Stadium and you look out over center field, you'll see a massive jail and a courthouse. Juxtaposed with cool in Durham, there is great poverty and incredible discrimination. Urban futurist Richard Florida ranked Durham fifth in the nation regarding wage inequality. One-fourth of the children in Durham are in poverty. School systems are still extremely segregated. As Reverend Carl Kenny said, Durham really has a double nature. You're listening to live jazz, drinking good coffee at BU Cafe on Main Street, and you see homeless men and women walking by all the time. You can be living in a million-dollar house, and a block away, they're boarded-up homes. This double nature, cool and hip and up-and-coming and marginalized, left out and pushed out, is the city that we live in. And I love it. I love all parts of the city. And many of you would say you love Durham, but I hope of all parts of the city. But I hope you know that Jesus loves Durham more than we do. Jesus sees hundreds and thousands of people hip and cool and marginalized and oppressed. And Jesus loves them more than we ever could. So what does Jesus want for our city? What does Jesus want in Durham? What does the good of Durham look like? The first thing, spiritual flourishing. Spiritual flourishing. Jesus wants to change people's lives. That's why he loves Durham. He looks at the city of Durham and he sees faces and names. The kingdom of God is made up of people glorifying him. The good of Durham is when men, women, and children are having their lives changed by the grace of God. People who are believing the gospel of grace for the first time and over and over and over. And people who are belonging to a community that will love them for who they are and what the gospel offers and a people who are becoming more and more like Christ being transformed by his grace so spiritual flourishing looks like it's individual and communal as a pastor I was taught by another pastor a few years ago here's a good question to ask people to see if spiritual renewal or spiritual flourishing is happening in their lives ask this question what have you been repenting of lately what have you been repenting of lately if you can respond to that, then the gospel of grace is fresh to you and you're being renewed daily by His grace. But if you have a hard time responding and you would rather talk about what you want to do or need to do or what other people need to do, you're in danger. Because here's a big truth. You'll never have eyes to see God's renewal in the world unless you know how He's renewing we're committed to seeing spiritual gospel grace renewal in your life and in our community. The second thing that the good of Durham means is social flourishing. We seek the good of society. 
Durham, as Mayor Bill Bell says, is a city without a majority. No majority white or black. It's an eclectic, beautiful, diverse city, a cross-cultural society where there is wealth and poverty together, educated and undereducated, those with privilege and those who've been oppressed. So we believe the good of Durham is when we have dignified interdependence, seeking mercy and justice. Here's what we mean by that. Dignified interdependence. Every person is created in God's image. Dignified. There's a ministry of reciprocity, giving and receiving that goes on between all people, no matter who you are. Which means the poor teach the rich, and the rich help the poor. The oppressed love the privileged, and the privileged seek justice for the oppressed. So the good of Durham is not only about people, it is and must be social and institutional. The shalom and peace of God must come to bear in society and institutions. I'm in the middle of reading Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. It was on Duke's freshman summer reading list. It's been on my shelf for a while, and I finally picked it up. But this book is about Brian Stevenson, who is an African-American lawyer in Alabama, a death row lawyer, fighting against injustice in the legal system. A system where one out of three African-American men end up in prison. Where the legal sentencing of 13-year-olds to life in prison, common. Where capital punishment charges were being handed out like candy. Some to innocent people because of the broken and oppressive system. And the point of the book and the point of Stevenson's life is that evil can be overcome. A difference in society can be made. Now, I know this is a book and it's but a small, small dent in the need for social and systemic healing. And it's one man who's given his life for years. But we, church, are called to live on mission, to seek mercy and justice for all people in all places. We are committed to the society of Durham flourishing. The last thing that it means, the good of Durham, is cultural flourishing. The good of Durham will happen when we as Christians engage with the culture and we don't retreat. When we are present, when we hang out and we spend time and we love our city and we love our place. If you look at the history of Christianity, whenever Christians show up in a place on God's mission, the culture of that place changes. Things like education begin to change. Businesses begin to prosper. Clean water, housing, strengthening of families, care of the poor, love for the sick, dignifying of the handicapped. Culture begins to change. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Aka Indians, a people who were a cannibal people. They, they had an average lifespan of 27 years. And Jim Elliott and four others went to the Aka Indians to do mission work and were killed. So Jim's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, did what we would all do, is retire to the beach. No. <laughs> she goes to the very people who killed her husband and begins to share the gospel of grace to these people. And they begin to respond. And God begins to work. And therefore the culture began to change. Killing amongst one another stopped happening. Community began to be built. Love for one another was prospering. And the average lifespan now is 77 years. Within 50 years of going over as, a, as God's people on mission, these people have increased 50 years in their lifespan. That's cultural flourishing. That is mending what is broken. Culture is changed for the good when Christians live on mission in a place. 
We planted this church to seek the glory of God and the good of Durham. That is why we exist. A church where a local woman is in jeopardy of losing her home and people rally to fix it, to bring it to standards so she's not evicted. A church where people throw parties or meet somewhere downtown, inviting their neighbors out for a fun night just to get to know others and be invited in and to belong to a community. A church where people have a heart for fostering an adoption in our city and around the world and they get together just to talk about it and pray for it. A church where someone has a passion like photography and uses it as a platform for the sake of the city to give dignity to others and to showcase this city that we love. A church where someone who has not been in church or has been hurt by the church can enter and ask questions and be skeptical and still feel like they can belong while they process and journey. A church where stay-at-home moms and dads see the opportunity to have occasional play dates at the park as a great way to invite new people and neighbors into community. A church where men and women gather to talk about and pray how God might use them in their vocations. This is who we are, church. These are our stories. This is Christ's central church, and I love being part of this church. We are called to live into a great and grand story of the gospel, worship and mission, God's glory in all the world, Christ's grace flowing into all the world as far as the curse is found. This is a story and a vision of life worth living for, and it will make us adventurers and risk takers for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would shatter our small visions, our small purposes and small missions and help us to understand this great, grand story. You, the one who has created all that was good, but it was broken. And yet, Lord Jesus, you are still faithful in mending and redeeming and restoring. And one day it will be complete. And we long for that day. So, Lord Jesus, would we see you in all your glory? Would our hearts know that all that we long for can only be met in you? And would we worship and then would we be sent out as your people on your mission to declare the glories and the grace of our God? It's your name we pray. Amen.